that's no longer accurate anymore. No. <laughs> <laughs> so welcome to the first ever text cathedra podcast and where we speak text cathedra and it becomes definitive when we do that and if you don't like that we will text communicate you and you do not want mm -hmm. to be text communicated um we have officially decided on a new name for the pod we're going to get new artwork and new intros and all that stuff as it's going but we wanted to go ahead and just do in our typical you know backward persian bizarre manner that we do things we're going to do the intro before we're before we've got artwork and all that stuff ready uh because it just it just wouldn't be us if we didn't do it that way yeah and i think it's interesting um the way that we say text cathedra i think is a little bit different than the um the way it actually is said in latin but i think you brought up a point about why you wanted to say it that way you kind of wanted to focus on the c-a-t-h kind of put emphasis on that for catholic right no that's i think that's that's always how i, how I pronounce oh no, is it oh i thought it was pronounced if, i mean don't trust me on pronunciation well i don't <laughs> again i'm the one who talked about dickistries i don't know anything what the hell do i know about it <laughs> so yeah i i'm sure there's i don't know that there's a right or a wrong way to to do it um marcus already text communicated yeah er, earlier Man, today i text happened. communicated him Man, yeah. that happened fast. <laughs> that happened fast. Who we got? Who we got rolling with us up in here? Hey, there's Margo, R.I.P. Tradman. Yeah, yeah, it was time. See, here's the deal. Please text communicate. You, you know what? Don't 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 test me. Um, what, what? Who said that? Uh, uh, Christine. Lovely opening. Oh, thank you, Christine. Appreciate you. We're gonna we're gonna have something equally as cool for the opening, yeah. um, we promise. But Jason or I never really liked the name Tradman. I just sort of thought it would be a cool riff on Mad Men, which is a show I like. Not a very edifying show, quite frankly. So I hate to plug it here on the show, but um, I, so that's kind of what we went with. But yeah, we we have been kicking around this idea since we started doing the pod what, yeah. what, coming up with a better name. And uh, we think we finally landed on one that we could both live with and that we both. Yeah. Like, we, so. We've been talking about it for a while, but I don't think we took it too seriously until the past few months. I was racking my brain, but I just, well, that, well, definitely the past few months we have, and you, we actually came up with the name or you came up with the name that we really liked, but it was already taken. So we didn't want to, um, yeah, so a, we did for, for, from a non-active podcast, but they had they had posted like eighty-six videos. Um, yeah, so decided, it would have been well, confusing. Yeah, it would have been confusing to say the very least. But um, uh, Christine, I want to guarantee you that uh, our intro will. I don't see. We probably might get some new music, although I don't know. Maybe we'll see. Uh, for right now, I'm still going to use the same music. I'm just going to change our artwork a little bit to obviously reflect the name of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, that's important. But text catheter, we thought, is a little bit more our speed because we're more interested in really what the church teaches and and what has what the church has always taught to be true. That that's kind of wouldn't you say what the focus of our podcast is really about? It's not so much about one liturgy versus another liturgy. 
Yeah, no, I agree. I I felt like you know we we use the name in the beginning, like you said, because it was something that you that you came up with. And I actually do remember for people that that don't know, Mark had planned to try to do a podcast on his own in the very beginning, and it was uh he I, I remember so the at our parish there's a group of knights that are part of a text group. Mark, I remember Mark had sent say anybody want to do a podcast with me. And he had the name Tradman with the Madman with is it Madman or Mad, yeah Madman Mad, logo. Madman, yeah. And uh, you know had the same one instead of having the cigarette in the hand, he changed it for a rosary, and we used that for a little while. And then just out of the blue, one day I remember I was traveling out of town, like we had never really talked, and you just texted me said, "Hey, let's get a beer sometime," and then we kind of text back and forth for a minute. And then really that's I'd ask how your podcast was going. So I came on board with Mark actually. And he, he was like, Oh, we don't have to, we can change the name. I'm not married to it. And, uh, but we didn't, we didn't think of anything else, but as the show has developed, I've enjoyed talking about more than just liturgy type and traditional type uh, topics. Yeah. I feel like Bradman kind of puts us in a niche and, and, and whatnot because we we want to be open to more topics than that and and while the while the brunt of our topics will be catholic i think tex cathedral also kind of gives us a little bit of an opening to talk about maybe other topics we may want to from time to time yeah i think the important thing to think i mean when i think about what catholicism is it really is a way to look at the whole world it's a way to look at reality so everything that's going on in the world the Catholic, authentic Catholic teaching has something to say about that, either for or against. Hey, Shelly, nice to see you. Welcome. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do like talking about uh, other things that you might not think about connected to religion because um, I think the church has something to say about that. And, and you know, we're dealing with a 2,000-year-old deposit of faith, and it's an it's an incredibly rich tradition that touches every aspect of our lives, not just uh, how we worship, but how we eat, how we, how we dress, how we interact with other people, how we are to look at violence in the world, both just violence and unjust violence. And what does the church teach about that? What does the church say about all of this, um, this transgender stuff that's going on in the world. What does the, what does our theology speak to that? Because the one thing that I'm convinced, I saw a great quote today on uh, it was just, just a phrase on Twitter, Christ or chaos. And that's, that's the way the world breaks down. If, if the world without Christ is a world in chaos and only Christ can, um, can, uh, yeah, and that was another problem, Lou. I'm so great, glad you brought that up. I didn't like the, the name trad men because it sounded like it was for men only. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. And no matter how many times you can say that, the name of the show is trad men. And so, yeah, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that was a concern of mine also. And, and, and another reason that I'm glad we're, we're, changing, um, we're changing the show. But but now keep in mind, I don't think the format of the show will be that different. It'll be the same Jason and Mark you guys are, are used to. So, you know, I don't think we're going to do anything necessarily different other than the name change and, and, and some artwork and logo and stuff. 
Yeah. But, um, and but then, that's... and then, and then you'll see more of our, uh, Twitter page for the show, text communicating people that we feel need to be text communicated. <laughs> and merch. We're going to get some good, solid merch going finally. Uh, because allegedly, another, allegedly we, <laughs> <laughs> we will get some good merch for you guys too, because that's another thing I wanted to do. See, the, another problem is neither Jason or I are particularly like savvy at this. Um, I don't know why God chooses the people least qualified to do things and he puts them in charge of the thing. I, I don't know, you know, Peter as the head of the apostles. Yikes. <laughs> but I think God does that so that his glory can shine through because, you know, neither Jason or I are particularly uh, what you would call articulate Careful. theologians or. <laughs> <laughs> really, we just go we 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 just um we do what the we try to do what the church teaches and that's mostly what we're interested in we also i think like to uh like to look at what is going right in the church i mean there's there's plenty of podcasts you can listen to about everything that's going wrong in the church but we'd like to focus a lot on what's going right and that usually means the lay apostolate we're mo we're most interested in what you guys are doing to to spread the message out there because let's face it for the most part i get the sense that okay so we have we have a mandate from jesus christ go out and baptize all nations in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit i don't get the sense that the vatican at this point really has any particular interest in doing that at all so I don't really care about what goes on in Vatican City. I just, I just don't. Um, I think, from what I can tell, they worship strange gods over there that I don't, I don't worship. So <laughs> I don't know what goes on in Vatican City. I don't care what goes on in Vatican City, and uh, I'm more interested in what you guys are doing. Um, well, and and I think it's part of the reason why. I mean, we have had some very. Um, you know, in Catholic media, influ influential guests come on. We've had the good Bishop Snyder uh, come on, sure. but we've also, but we've also had a lot of um, people on who are part of this lay apostolate, right? We've had Amanda, uh, what's her last name? Laura, Amanda Lauer. Lauer. Come on yeah. and talk about her, her, um, the books she's written, they're Catholic books geared toward like your teens and preteens, but also good for adults. Adults enjoy them too. Um, we've promoted her. I've actually, we were actually in contact with her today and we're going to have her back on in September because she's going to have a new book uh, released in October. So we definitely want to promote her, what you could consider a lay apostolate, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That's a lay apostolate. Course, of course, we've had you know we've had our friends from AB on. We've had uh, Mass of the Ages. We had Cam Mass, of the, on, Mass of the Ages. We've had That's a great apostolate. We've had Shout Trevor. Yeah, we've had Trevor from Tri Tridenton Brewery come yeah. on. Um, we're gonna have him and another guy who's doing a great job in the lay apostolate, Connor McHugh over at Plotlines. Um, a good friend of ours. We're gonna have him and Trevor come on to talk about Blessed Carl uh here in august sometime so you know our show our, our show does try to get those you know guests um that that 
that are well known in the Catholic world because they're fun to talk to, but it's also fun just to, like you mentioned, see what the lay people are doing. And and I know there's some topics that we, we would like to do. We would, we would like to get somebody that's more of an expert, but uh, to talk about it than we can do. But I think it would really promote and push that idea of what are, what are not only lay people doing, but what can we learn about the church that we didn't previously know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I, I, yeah. So, uh, that being said, thank you, Lou. She's talking about the one with, uh, with, with Amanda. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, a, that was a good show. That was a wholesome show. I enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, I enjoyed, I enjoy everybody over at Mass V Ages. Margo, I'd love to have you on the show. Um, and it, I, to the extent that you're, they're cool with you talking about, what y'all are doing over there. I never, I don't, I never want to like, cause I know you guys are creative over there. I know y'all are working on an important film and I know that y'all know that I'm into it. Cause I, I think the last time um, I emailed you guys about uh, you were starting that new initiative where you're going to teach more priests to say the traditional Latin mass. And I was like, yeah, come on the show. Let's talk about that. And they were like, eh, let's pump our brakes for right now, which is, which is cool. I get it. Um, so I never really know how to broach that. I want to come off as like clingy and annoying, but I'm really a big fan of y'all's pos- apostolate and what y'all are doing over at Massive Ages. If you guys have not seen, oh, well, episode one is not out right now. Oh, it? yeah. They, they took it they, down. They took right it down now. to redo it. They're, they're remastering it. They're going to revamp it. I'm so excited about that because episode one is my favorite of the two episodes that are out and to know they're going to revamp it and make it even better than the first one um, is, is so exciting. I, I just really look forward to that. So hopefully when that gets ready to, uh, to get, you know, start getting some press, we would like very much to, you know, spearhead that um, episode will be one be back in a few months. Praise God. If you haven't seen Mass of the Ages episode one, it's probably the most beautiful. It's one of the most important Catholic films, I think, of all time. The Mass is the source and summit of Christian life. It's not just a, a, to, a totem to fight over, right? It's something bigger than that. It's our liturgy. Um, and the Mass of the Roman Rite is the Cadillac of Catholic liturgies. It's not the only liturgy. I'm not, I, I admit that it is not the only liturgy, but in my humble opinion, the Roman rite. And when I say the Roman rite, we know what we're talking about here. Pius V defined what that was in 1570, because there were a whole bunch of different uses of the rite all over Europe. And he took the curial mass, the mass that the curia was saying in 1570 at the conclusion of the Council of Trent. And he published a document called Quo Primum. And he said, what you, all you other guys are doing, if you don't have a version of this that's 200 years older, it stops today. And what you're going to do is this, because this is the Roman rite. And then he said, now, forever, and in perpetuity. Now, I know we all have to pretend like we don't know what that means, but there was once a time when the Catholic Church used to be actually pretty straightforward uh, in their communications before they got obsessed with modernism. And now they have to publish 650 pages to say nothing. You know, they call them synodal documents. 
and you, you, we go through 500 pages of gobbledygook. And at the end, we get to it and we go, what the heck was this? What the heck was this? There was once a time when the Catholic Church didn't do that. There was once a time when if you asked a straightforward question, you actually got a straightforward answer. And in 1570, Pius V defined what the Roman right was. So, you know, I think that is the Cadillac of Catholic liturgies, in my opinion. And I, I was just going to make a comment on Christine, where yeah. she mentioned she was very relieved to learn that they would make be making a new version of episode one. Yeah. And I'm there with you, Christine. I think uh, I'm not saying it wasn't a tough decision for the guys over there because of everything that relationships and the work that goes into it and all that. But I think ultimately they made the right decision in in making their edits. I, I do too. And, and, and the challenge was this. You can't just edit people out of a movie, right? That's impossible. A movie is not one image that you can just cut somebody out of. It's a, <laughs> it's a series of images edited together in a narrative format. If you, it, the only way you can edit a person out is to edit <laughs> scenes out of the movie. And once you do that, you no longer have a narrative format. You don't have a movie anymore. So the challenge is really, okay, how do we how do we both edit out scenes of a movie and still have the movie? And eventually they came to the conclusion the only way we're going to be able to do this is to redo the film, redo episode. Well, one, yeah, which, and I think yeah. and I and I and I know it's going to be a lot of work for them, but I think the work will be worth it in the end. And Sean says he's he's upset with Pius V for abrogating the Yorkish right. <laughs> and if you look at his real life photo right there, he looks like he's taking it hard. He does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah the yorkish right yeah well and so i i did want to make a comment too before i forget about it i i had uh posted on our on our screen here our email address at tradmanpodcast at gmail.com just for pe uh people that because we do get emails from time to time we are still available with that email we will eventually get a uh new email uh address but we will always monitor that or have that forwarded to our new email address if we can do that. So um, if this is what you have, feel free to contact us through that in perpetuity. Yeah, but now forever <laughs> and in perpetuity. Oh, tomorrow's the final day of filming for episode three. See, I don't believe that. I don't believe that because no one has interviewed us for the, for the movie. And I'm sure they wouldn't make episode... I, I would think that there's no way they could they could talk about Quilprian without talking to Mark. Yeah, I don't think that they could even do a show about the should, traditional Latin mass without talking about trad men and everything we did. Here. Should I tell <laughs> should I tell people your secret? What's my secret? Well, the reason you're an expert on Quilprian is because you have the whole document tattooed on your back. Yeah, yeah. Word for in, word. In Latin too. Because you know, <laughs> otherwise it doesn't count. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that would be the most that would as flabby as I am, that would be the weirdest looking quote premium ever. It would be unreadable. All wavy. <laughs> yeah, it'd be wavy. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um so, so speaking of um do, do I get to Judaize everybody? No, tonight? yeah. Well, hang on. Let me let me walk us into that. Because yeah. I've got I've got two questions before we start. Okay, okay. First, how dare you? <laughs> For people that don't know, that's an office reference. And two, yeah, a lot of questions. I, yeah, yeah. Two, I want to know: Are you actively Judaizing people, and if so, why? Yeah. 
So that was three questions, really, I guess. But <laughs> when you, so when are you gonna stop beating your wife? Um yeah, no, I'm not I'm not actively Judaizing people, but for those of you who don't know You're learning how. I'm learning how. Um okay. I'm I'm taking a course, a, 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 an online course from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem in biblical Hebrew. I thought it would be cool to start learning how to read some of the old testament in the original and so that's what that's what i've been doing and for the most part it is literally just a language course there's not much biblical exegesis or theology or anything like that um so you know in fact there is a there is a catholic nun in my class with me uh believe it or not and um but every once in a while like something will slip out (laughs) Not from me, but from the professor. Like, uh, I think one thing I heard was we're talking about the New Testament. And he said, yeah, New Testament is different because, you know, New Testament, new God, new chosen people. And I was like, Hmm. wow, you really missed the boat of what Christianity went right over your head. (laughs) It's not a new God at all. (laughs) It's the same. It's the same God. But anyway. But, but you, you get little things like that. You can you can just sort of tell that um, if they if 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 these rabbis had studied the New Testament a tenth as much as we've studied the Old, would they still would they would they still be Jews at all? I don't know. That's a very interesting question. I I do know that a lot of the Old Testament prophecies that directly relate to Messiah are no longer read in the synagogue because the, 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 the rabbis were afraid that people would join the Jesus movement. If you started reading from Isaiah, Ezekiel, and some of know, these other, uh, that's, that's scrolls. a good, that's a good point because for the past few days, I'm almost done with the book of acts, but I just, for whatever reason, I just felt I'm going to read the book of acts. I like one day I just picked up, you know, a couple of days ago, picked up my Bible and started reading it. And I noticed, you know, in there, which of, of course, I mean, I already knew this, but it's always interesting how you kind of, no matter how many times you've read uh, a book in the Bible, you pick up new stuff and it reiterates stuff that you already knew, but you don't think about too much, right? Um, one, yeah, I mean, it's amazing when Paul would go into these synagogues and all that. And uh, he would, it, it always says he argued with the Jews, he argued with the Jews, he argued with the Jews. And yeah, obviously some rejected him, but there was also a lot that that followed him because of their understanding of the Old Testament text and how Christ fulfilled those prophecies. Right. He was quoting from these old uh, Old Testament texts. Um, And then I also found out that people say, hey, arguing doesn't do any good. Paul did a lot of arguing in the book of Acts. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. And thousands and thousands of Jews in the, in the first century were converting. This became a broad, this, the, the entire rabbinical, uh, you know, uh, whatever apparatus became very concerned with this. In fact, uh, Christine, it's interesting you brought up the Talmud. Now there's no, we're not studying any Talmud. Uh, this is just the Bible. Um, Talmud is not written in biblical Hebrew, actually. The, the biblical Hebrew really just does apply to, to the Bible. Um, but anyway, the, the, um, the Talmud, you know, says some very denigrating things about Jesus, obviously, but, and Mary and Mary. But what's interesting is that out of all the messianic, the, 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 the wannabe messianic figures that came and went around that time, there were a few of them. 
You've never heard of them, and that's because they never amounted to anything, and neither did any of their movements. Um, the only one that's spoken of that gets any treatment at all in the Talmud is Jesus, because this was a problem for them. People mm -hmm. were converting to this Jesus movement, this, this new thing called the church. And um, one of the things that I've often taken as a huge historical um, uh, evidence for the resurrection is the the amount of explanation of explanatory stuff that the rabbinical authors had to do to explain why the tomb was empty what they never do is just go get his body i mean if you're if you're if you're a, a San, if you're in the sanhedrin first century and you've got a problem because people are joining this jesus movement and the reason they're joining is everybody has seen him walking around people are saying they've seen him after you after the crucifixion what would be the first thing you would do to put an end to it forever go get the body go get the body drag it out throw it on the steps of the temple and go there's your risen messiah are we done and that would have been it they never do that well and and to your point uh, earlier I believe I believe it was in the book of Acts that I read it towards the beginning. I can't remember his name, but one of the Jewish leaders, Galamio. you know, you, Galamio, Galamio. you had you had mentioned all these other Jesus type figures that came up, but you didn't hear about them. Well, he makes that exact point. He's like, guys, just we don't really need to do anything to these to these uh, people. Talk, referring to the 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 apostles and disciples, we don't need to do anything to these people because they'll just. If it's not true, if it's not from God, they'll just fizzle out and go away, be lost to history. Yeah. But if it is from God, then basically we better <laughs> we yeah. better take awareness of that. Now it's it's a tradition in the in the Eastern Church that Galamiel converted, but I don't know. I I doubt that because I uh, think that I think Acts would have mentioned that. That would have been a huge uh, conversion. Well, I it think just Acts, it just depends at what point. But he you never know. To, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's the point is. People didn't write every little thing that ever happened down. They wrote the things that they felt were the most important things to write down. Um, in fact, up until recently, most of the critical scholars who are sort of atheists, but they're scholars of the Bible in a, in a literary sense or whatever, they thought that Caiaphas was a made-up person because there are no other mentions of him outside of the four Gospels. And so that must be evidence that the Christians just made him up. And then they found his tomb in 1997. <laughs> so, and with his bones still inside and everything, they, they, I mean, all those atheist scholars had to agree. Yeah, that's his tomb. So they were yeah. wrong about that. But the thing is, is back in the day, very few people learned to read. So the only people who wrote things down we're writing things down for other people who wrote things down and could read, right? I mean, it, this was a small group of people. Um, and in fact, one of the things you learn about Hebrew is that Hebrew has a little bit of this problem too. And that um, pre-Babylonian exile, biblical Hebrew, we don't really know what that sounded like because they didn't write down the vowels. They didn't have to. They knew now, all this. Now, I'm, you know? I'm, I may be quoting this part wrong, but I listened to um, Martyr made uh, one of his episodes that he did mm -hmm. yeah. about uh, the state of Israel and stuff like that, which is a fantastic episode. Um, but he, I think he mentions that even today, 
the 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 biblical Hebrew and stuff, we really don't know what that sounded like either. Because if I remember right, he said the the Israelis literally literally had the the Hebrew language that they speak today in Israel. They literally had to create because nobody had any history. Nobody knew the pronunciations or the words. So in order to try to unite the people, they literally created a, a new Hebrew language. Well, it's it, so my understanding is a little different. I'm not an expert at this, but my understanding. Now, I may have not quoted him perfect, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do know that modern Hebrew with the, the language that they speak in the state of Israel is not biblical Hebrew at all. It's very, very, very. No, different. no. I'm pretty sure that's made up in the past. 50s, yeah, 60s, well, and one of the things about it, and if you'll let me share my screen is. for just a minute, I will. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I will show you here. Uh, let's see here. What am I looking at? It's got to be this one, right? Yeah. So you'll see these dots underneath. So modern modern Hebrew that they speak in Israel doesn't have these because they have they have vowels that are part of, that are characters, right? So they have they've redesigned words such that the vowels are actually in there. You don't need these, these dots. The reason for these dots is because uh, pre-Babylonian exile, they didn't write down the vowels because they didn't have to. All they wrote were consonants. And the reason is because the only other people who are going to read this already know what it says. So you, you could just sort of write, um, you know, NYW, Y-R-K, and you're going to know that's New York. But after the Babylonian exile, what happens is they almost lost the language entirely because they were in exile. And th there was a real struggle to keep this language and keep the, the, the Torah and the writings of the prophets and everything alive. So the scribes began to invent a system by which you could tell the vowel sounds by writing these, these dots underneath um, the letters. So the way that you would read Hebrew is you sort of start, you, you start at the, in the right going left and you look at the character and then you just go down and then up to the, to the left down and then up to the left. So it's actually a zigzag pattern so that you know how to pronounce the vowels. But that's one of the, see, that's just a quirk of biblical Hebrew that modern Hebrew doesn't have. And, yeah. you know, also, there are no speakers of biblical Hebrew. There are only readers of it. There, there's no, there's nobody out there who has conversations in biblical Hebrew, right? This is a, this is, this for all intents and purposes is a dead language in the sense that there are no new words being invented in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. This, by the way, is the first, the first line of the Bible in the original language. Um, Bara Elohim, no, uh, Bereshit bara Elohim, because uh, Bereshit means in the beginning, uh, bara means created, and then Elohim means God. And because in, in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, the verb always comes first. So if you ever wanted to know what the, what the first line of the Bible looks like in its original language, there it is. And you, you've seen probably Your other pictures that look like you're, that but anyway you're definitely Juda, judaizing i'm me. judaizing all I, I need to go i need to go to the temple and make some sacrifices <laughs> hey by by the way i i did want to mention this you're talking about letters and how people didn't read there's also another aspect of that that i don't think people consider 
a lot of times the cost. So the book of Romans, um, I remember reading this uh, a while back and I just looked it up. The, the book of Romans, which I believe is that the longest uh, letter of Paul's? I think Romans um, is, yeah. I think Romans is. Um, yeah, it says right here. Okay, Romans is the sixth book and the longest. Anyway, in today's money, it would have cost St. Paul $2,275 to write that. Mm. So it wasn't it wasn't a cheap undertaking. And I was listening, uh, I was listening today on Twitter for just a little bit. Jay Dyer was talking to somebody about the canon and what. And I know Jay Dyer is Orthodox, but he he also is a very knowledgeable person. Mm-hmm. But he was talking about the canon, right? Yeah. And he mentioned uh to this one guy, I think it was a Baptist guy he was talking to, that um, how did he put it? That we read in scripture where St. Paul tells Timothy, do all uh, teach others and all, you know, basically all the things that I have taught you. Well, when you go, I believe in Acts or, or, or somewhere, Paul is learning and teaching for three years, right? Three right. years. So three years worth of knowledge is not put in the, the epistles of St. Paul in the New Testament, right? So um, I forgot where I was going with that, man. We're talking but about anyway, the cost, the cost of what it would cost. Yeah, him so to, the co- yeah, it would have cost him a, a fortune to write everything down. And plus, they didn't. It was it was an oral culture at the time, right? I mean, most cultures were. were. Down. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, when you put those two together about the cost and also the amount of of uh, knowledge that Saint Paul was was teaching others to pass on like St. Timothy, there's no way he would have been able to afford uh, to write everything down. Oh yeah. No. And, and like, like you're talking about, not, not just, not just time, but you know, there's no paper. The only way you write things down is, is parchment. So an animal's got to give its life in order for you to write things down. And um, so, yeah, there's a lot that goes into writing things down in the old world. What is amazing is that these old scholars and scribes took the time to do that anyway. And um, I actually have come away from what I've been studying, thinking that the literature in the Bible, the biblical literature that comes from the Babylonian exile, so Proverbs, um, Job, Ecclesiastes, some of the most profound works I just, some of that writing, it almost pains me a little bit to, to think that, but for Jesus, the world, the world probably would never have access to those scrolls because Judaism was not, you know, I know we think of Judaism now as like one of the big three religions. Okay. That's only true because Christianity spread the new spread the old testament out all over the world and made judaism oh, i don't want to say it made judaism that sounds wrong but um made it famous if that makes sense um you know if you think about the fact think of how obscure it is that you and i sitting here in the united states in 2023 are reading scrolls that were not meant for us they were meant for people who were in these this collection of tribes. 
That's who this, that's who this is for. Remember, it doesn't say in, in um, Leviticus that there, that there are no other gods. It just says you will not have any other gods, right? And so the, this, the, there's very much a sense of that these things I'm telling you are for you. You're my chosen people, but out of you will come a light that will shine to the Gentile nations. But the fact that you and I know who this God is, not only that we know who he is, but that he's the only God, that there are no other gods that really exist. It's pretty profound. I mean, that's kind well, of yeah. And I and I would add that those scrolls, uh, I to, you know, to your point about it being written for specific people, I also think there as Catholics there are heritage and in God's providence they were Absolutely. also they were also written to us. Now at the time yes. they were specifically written to this group of people, but God through His providence and knowledge of of all things knew that those would be written to us as Catholics as well. Those would be our, our, you know, our heritage as well. Um, that's so well I, said. I, it, that's well said. Just, I, I, yeah. That's a much, that's a much better uh, clarification than what I was saying. Yeah. Very, one, very, one of the things that, and I'm kind of, you may have already gotten there, but we haven't talked about it if you have, but in, in your, in your Hebrew class, I know on the Shema, there's been the argument that I've read before and, and I'm on board with it because maybe I'm just biased, but from, from the little bit of scholarship that I've read about it, when it says the Lord, our God is one mm -hmm. that, that, uh, one of the Elohims, I believe is plural in that saying that the Lord, our God, like is plural is one. Hmm. And, uh, so I'm kind of interested to see how they approach that, that in your class and what they say about that. Yeah, let me see. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. So actually, the, the word that's used is Adonai, which is... Let's see if I can uh, do some. So every time you hear that word Adonai in the Bible, that, mean, that gets translated in English as Lord because it was considered... Um, uh, you didn't pronounce the name of Amen. God. The name of God is... Uh, is um sacred and really part of the problem is is that the actual pronunciation of that 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 word is um um what is the what are the, the yod yod he vav he we don't really know because we, again we don't know what the um the the vowels were um yeah well and and I'll say this while you're looking up your deal, just on a quick search and to Tyler's point here, it just says, although the world is plural in the Hebrew Bible, it is most often takes a singular verbal uh, form, but it's kind of interesting that, that the Hebrew uses the plural, because to me, when I read that, knowing what we've received through divine revelation, that, that, you know, God is three persons in one. Um, it's amazing to look back and think that the Trinity is in the Old Testament. Oh yeah, it, it may Trinity's in it, the first. It's in, yeah, the, in the first very, chapter of, of of Genesis. Exactly. Yeah. Let us. Um. So this is this is the name. This is the proper name of God. You'll see it all over the Old Testament and all over the Psalms. Uh. This is the, these are the Hebrew characters Yod. This is hey, this is a vav, and this is hey. It typically gets pronounced as Yahweh, 
Um, and due to old English, um, having a misunderstanding of how this, this, these four symbols worked, it got sometimes translated as Jehovah. Yeah. Uh, but that's Jew, neither the Jews or, or really. Yeah. Catholics I thought that ever really, what, was it old English or I thought it was the German. Well, I mean, it might've been the Germans. It was somebody of like, course, a, of course, English is a Germanic language yeah, in, yeah. in his roots, but, but it typically this, this would not be pronounced whenever you would see it. If you were reading the Psalms or something like that or the Torah. Uh, and so what they would do is substitute the phrase Adonai. Now, what's interesting about that is you will often hear from people like the Muslims, the Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, there's a few other uh, groups out there who deny Jesus's divinity and say that, that that's a later development that comes way after Jesus, right? Mm -hmm. All through the New Testament, the apostles, whenever Jesus does something miraculous or whenever he's transfigured or when he's resurrected, the first thing they call him is Adonai, the Lord, my Lord and my God. As first century Jews, they never would have called him that if they did not know that he was God. That was not a title like it is in Old English where the Lord Baron Covington, you know, they don't use that well, word like that in ancient Israel. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Into, yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. So they, so they are identifying him as this name and uh, it, it, we see it in the Our Father uh, that that it is not something that's pronounced because our Lord says, hallowed be thy name, but he never actually says the name. Um, and in fact, in, I think most Jews, a lot of Jews will refer to God as Hashem, which literally means the name. You know, we all know who we're talking about when we say Hashem. Um, but yeah, so Adonai is, is, is usually what you see. So that's what's in the Shema prayer is uh, Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad which means hero Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Yeah. So the oneness, but we affirm the oneness of God. We affirm that. We're not saying oh, yeah. there are three different gods. And that's, that's again, where the theology gets missed because I don't think, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things you've got to, it's a, the, the Trinity is a very deep mystery. It's very, well, very deep. And with, and with the name uh, here, you know, you, you mentioned that nobody knows ever really knew how to say it because they were afraid to pronounce it out of, uh, you know, fear and reverence for God. And so they use Adonai. That's why when you read your English uh, translation of the Bible, sometimes you'll see Lord just written maybe L, capital L, but lowercase R-L-D. And then sometimes you see it written all caps. I yeah. believe if it's written in all caps, it's referring to Adonai, which is what they would have, what is, which is what they replaced instead of writing God's name. Right. They replaced it with Adonai. So anytime you read your Bible and you see Lord in all caps, know that God's name was supposed to be here, but out of fear and respect, they didn't. So here's something I have learned from, from my Hebrew classes that directly relates to the Catholic liturgy and, and, and a Catholicism thing is, one of the things you'll, if you've ever noticed when, when Jews in the temple or in the synagogue, they don't have the temple anymore. When Jews in the synagogue will read from this, these scrolls, they don't touch the scroll. They don't touch the words with their hands. They have a little stick and there's a little pointer on the end of the stick looks like a human finger. And that's what they use to, you know, go through the line. And as they read the Torah. That because the word, these words, this is God's handwriting right here. This is, this is the language 
these are not just the words, but this is the actual language that God gave Moses the Ten Commandments in on Mount Sinai. And a lot of people say that's why it looks like a flame alphabet. These look like licks of fire because this is the flame alphabet. This is our Lord's hand. This is God's handwriting. Okay. But look at, think about that reverence for a minute. The, the word reduced to writing is so holy we dare not touch it. Now, we have the word reduced to nothing, reduced to, it's not reduced at all. It is the pureness of the logo present in his body. And that we're giving out in the hand? No, no. If, if we were really understanding what it, what, what it is we're talking about when we talk about the Eucharist, that Torah scroll is a prefigurement. It's a shadow of the word. It is the word, like I said, reduced to writing. We have the fullness of the logos, present body, blood, soul, and divinity. And you, you, you can't hand that out to people like that. And, you know, you knock it off the altar and it falls on the floor and everybody has a big laugh. And, and I just think, wow, how, how far we've come from hallowed be thy name to that. It's just really, really sad. But anyway, it well, was something and, that made me reflect. Well, no, no, it's a, it's a good point. And I think, uh, <clears throat> I think that's one of the damage that taking away altar rails and communion in the hand has caused is it's, is it's caused people to lose sight that something supernatural was happening up at the altar. Absolutely. Um, and to Sean's question here, as Catholics, should we respect the name by not actually pronouncing Yahweh, or would it be a bit legalistic? You know, I, I would just say my, my initial thoughts are, one, we don't even know if we're saying it right, which we probably aren't. Two, if we don't know that, maybe there's something to say. Well, if we don't know if we can pronounce it right, maybe we shouldn't say it at all because of the way that the – uh, Israelites viewed God's name at the time. I don't know if it's a bit too legalistic. I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. I, I look at it like I, I don't see anybody in the New Testament pronouncing it either. Not Paul, not any of the apostles, <clears throat> not our Lord. So I think like in a context like this where we're just sort of talking uh, about it, I, I think it's not totally inappropriate to say it. Um, but Keep in mind this thing about names. You know, names are a, are a big deal. The name Jesus, you know, one of the things that we talk about, blessed and holy be the name of Jesus, and that you shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. You shouldn't say, you know, Jesus Christ as like a, a curse word or something like that. J the name Jesus is an exorcism prayer. That name casts out demons. It casts out the hosts of hell. And they have to obey it. That's how powerful that name is. And the name in the Old Testament was so holy and profound, they dare not utter it because of its power. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So I do think that there's something to be said about not about continuing the tradition of, uh, of not pronouncing this. Um, the, the authors, the translators of the New Testament, St. Jerome, uh, did not include the name when he translated the old testament um into latin he he used he was using the word lord um but anyway so i don't know if that answers the question but it is something that i think about a little bit um you yes, know speaking of yes, indeed. 
Speaking of uh, Jesus's name, um, hang on one second. What did that say? Was the name? Okay, yeah, so well said. Well said. What does what does she say? How will be the name and our Father? Yet then we go to him in our hands as though it's common food. Yeah. Um, reading in Acts too, because all this is fresh on my mind. I mean, you you definitely see demons being cast out in Jesus' name because as soon as the apostles, you know, St. Paul or whoever tells that demon to leave in, in Jesus' name, there's like no question about it. He's gone. Yeah. You know, yeah. anytime, you, you know, he, he heals people, you know, anytime anything goes on, that's how powerful uh, uh, his name is. Um, there was one story that I found, in you know, that I, I don't know if it's funny is the right word, but you know, there's a story where the apostles come up and somebody is casting out demons in Jesus' name. And Jesus says, you know, why are you stopping him? It's a good thing that he's doing this, right? And then I read over in uh, Acts 19 where uh, one of the seven sons of Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, uh, which did so, and the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? You know, so he was trying to cast out a demon in, in Jesus' name, I guess. And uh, yeah, because it says in 13, then the certain va- uh, then certain of the vagabond Jews exorcists took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord, all caps, Jesus, saying, we adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Now, that, now let, let me say that the all caps necessarily wouldn't apply in the Greek New Testament, but. Anyway, so he I just thought it was funny when the demons like Jesus, I know and Paul, I know, but who are you? And then he actually leaps into the guy that was trying to yeah. cast them out. So, 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 so I was just going to say, so it kind of goes to the point of where the church teaches us lay people. We don't need to be trying to cast out demons or read these, right. r- read the exorcism prayers and whatnot, because we we don't have the capabilities to do that nor handle uh, 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 demons, you know, in the exorcist files, he, uh, uh, what's his name? Father Martin. Is it Martin's Carlos Martin's Carlos Martin's. Yeah. yeah he talks so. about how sometimes, you know, lay people will try to cast out demons and he's like, no, that's a huge mistake. Right. You know, don't, don't do that. You're putting yourself in danger. And I think that this, that this uh, story in acts kind of speaks to that. And one of the things Father Martins always says is, as part of the part of the exorcism process, is to get the demon's name, because once you know his name, you have a certain control and power over him, right? If we look in the Bible about names, like who gives Adam his name? God does, right? Adam doesn't choose his own name. God, God names uh, the light and the dark. God as has dominion over the physical universe, but then there are some things that God lets Adam name. The animals, the fish, the, the trees that grow, the things that grow on the earth. Adam can name those things. Why? Because Adam has dominion over those things. Adam can utilize those things for work, for food, for shelter. And now he still has to he still is not allowed to do any darn thing in this garden he wants. He doesn't have complete and total sovereignty over the garden, but he has dominion over the things that live in the garden as the caretaker of the garden. 
But there are some things Adam does not get to name. He does not name the light, the light and the dark. He does not name uh, uh, the heaven and the earth. God creates those things. And he says, and the light, and, and, and then God said, let there be light. And he called the light day and he called the dark night. God has dominion over physical reality. We can't, you know, no more than I can just tell a, a star to blink out of existence and it will happen, mm -hmm. right? So when we talk about names, now we're talking about God's name. So who has dominion over God? No one. The story in uh, Exodus, when Moses, now Moses lives in a place where there are a million different gods. So when one appears to him in the burning bush, Moses's obvious reaction is, well, which God are you? Fair question if you live in ancient Egypt, because they've got a million of them. And he gives this answer. He gives his name and he says, I am the one who I am who am. In other words, I am the one who, I am the one that exists. So that is my proper name. Existence itself is my name. And the idea here is, is that even though he has a proper name and he has revealed it to us in the Old Testament, we're not allowed to use that. That avenue is not yet opened to us, right? Jesus comes along. And Jesus says something, Jesus says, when you pray, pray like this. And he calls God Father. And he invites us to do that too. He invites, says us, we can call him our Father. That's a very audacious claim. We admit as such, and I've said it many times in the Holy Mass, we say, Preceptus salutaribus moniti et divina institutioni formati audemus dicere, which literally means we have the audacity to say, our Father who art in heaven. And then the very next thing is, hallowed be thy name. So yes, we have direct access to God now through Jesus Christ. But that doesn't mean that God has lost his holiness, right? We still have to approach him in fear and trembling, but we have that direct access now. So that, I don't know, that thing about names is very interesting to me. Well, I wanted to ask something to Joseph here, because he says, mm. Father Ruperger says otherwise, it's dangerous to meddle with, especially if we're not in a state of grace. But as long as we have authority, we can demand demand demons. So my my question is, and and maybe maybe we misspoke misspoke or there's a misunderstanding. But I know Father Ripperger has a book, Deliverance Prayers, for use by the laity. But I was I was under the impression the reason that's out is because the exorcist prayers that the exorcists use in the church, the lay people are not to to pray, correct? Or, or am I misunderstanding that? Or, or are you saying something different, Joseph? Well, the, I know that the actual rite of exorcism can only be performed by somebody, can only really be performed by the bishop. And then the bishop can delegate that to one of his priests. I mean, technically speaking, if the bishop were to delegate the authority to you to be an exorcist, then that would work. In fact, there, uh, there have been saints who have not been priests, who have been given authority by local bishops, and this was a long time ago in the 1100s, St. Hildegard von Bingen, actually. Uh, so many of the priests in her little region there of Switzerland were so uh, apostate and so licentious and so lewd, they couldn't cast out demons. Yeah. None of it wasn't working because they didn't have any priests that were remotely holy enough to do that. So the bishop of her diocese actually gave her the authority in several select 
circumstances to cast out demons and it worked. Um, so well, I, in it, that sense, yeah. Well, isn't it true that as the faith of the church as a whole, I'm talking about the people get weaker, that it's harder to cast out demons. Yeah. And I, and I guess I just wanted to add to Joseph because English isn't my first language. I guess, I guess what I was getting at is I don't, and he can correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't think what I was trying to say is I don't think that lay people are allowed to like, if I know Bob down the street is possessed, I can't go down there and exercise that demon from him. I don't have that authority. I guess that's what more or less what I was getting, getting at. I know there, like I said, there are deliverance prayers that we can say, uh, and that, you know, like as a father, I have authority over, over my children to do certain right. things that, that, that other people can't. But, um, because ultimately, I, Jesus I, is casting out the demon. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, yeah. yeah. And it, the church it, it is, is the body of Christ. And so the church has that authority to, and if you, if you do it without that, that authority, um, believe, best believe the demons will know. Yeah. And Shelly, that's my understanding, too, that uh, like Joseph said, if you're in a state of grace, I can, I can do those type of things with people I have authority over, like my wife and my kids and whatnot. But uh, just in general exorcism, like I couldn't go to Mark's house and exercise him is, is my understanding. Well, and I think that so there's in cases of demonic possession, which is a unique and very rare situation. My understanding is, is that only the bishop has the authority to cast out a demon like in, in that instance. And then and he can delegate that authority to one of the priests in, in the diocese so that he would have as his exorcist. Yeah. So, but, it's, but like in the sense of there's, there's a, there's just a funk in my house that is not good. Uh, there are prayers by the laity that the man of the house can, can yeah. and should uh, go around and say, um, I, I don't know that even well, a husband of a household could cast out a, a, like a possessed person. You know what I mean? I don't know. Well, it's also, you know, it, it's like, I kind of, have, well, I don't kind of, I do, you know, each, each night for the kids go to bed. Yeah. You know, sometimes we slack on it, but uh, most nights, you know, I'll bless the kids with holy water. Cause I have the authority to do that to them. Right. Sure. Sure. I can, uh, you know, I, I bless my kids. Um, and that's, it just, I mean, yeah, that's one thing I really like about doing these live shows. And one thing I love about this podcast is because, because of the interactions like this that we get from Shelly, from prepping um, Joseph here that we've said in the beginning, we don't know everything. And I, I sure as heck learned a lot from this. Cause you know, um, Joseph's made some good points. Shelly's made some good points. So I think it's a, that's another thing I really enjoy about this podcast is the interaction that we get from people. You know, I actually, knew, and by the uh, way, we go ahead, go, go ahead. You broke. Oh, no, you must've froze on me or I froze, I froze on, you. on you. Sorry. I was going to say, I knew, I knew a Catholic no. coworker who she was female and she was um, not going through like a spiritual crisis, but like just advocating some things that were not authentically Catholic. And, you know, it was, mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think I even have the authority to approach her about this. I should talk to her husband because I'm not the spiritual head of her household. I, I don't have any, mm. I have no authority to do that. Really. That's not, that, that would be inappropriate. So that just goes along with kind of what you were, what you were talking about there. Yeah. Speaking of Joseph, I'm going to put him on the spot here because we've talked about it offline before. We do need to get him on to talk about the Armenian Catholic Church. 
for if sure. We can convince him to come on. <laughs> for sure. The first Christian nation on earth, Armenia. Shout out. Shout out to Armenia. Is that your internet or mine? I, I there's no way I can know. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm like barely holding on here. We're we're getting ready to move and like everything is a mess here. So who knows? It probably is my internet. You still there? Did I lose you, Jason? I can't tell if he's holding still, just pretending, or if he's really frozen. Is that is that my internet that's messing up? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, no, okay. Yeah, shout it, it out, shout out in the comment section. Who's freezing? Is it me or Jason? So, yeah, I was going to say that, Margo. In that had case, a good I would question. I would refer you to a priest for sure. If, uh, well. Yeah, and or I, I mean, I guess the default answer would be your father, but I sure. don't know. I don't know how that all sure. plays in. Yeah, yeah Sean says me. we're losing Jason. So. Yeah, yeah. After I asked the question, it kind of my Wi-Fi kind of was acting funky. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> um, so what else is going on, man? Nothing. I just uh, got some trying to get you moved so that we can get in together oh no kidding man uh, the studio. So, so dark here now i need i I don't, I don't have my lights my cameras my action oh um yeah and <clears throat> and margo oops sorry we both did okay. that and and that would be and to, to mark's point talk to a priest because i mean i would i would think your dad still had authority over you but i don't know to what extent if he if he's not a believer i i mean i don't i don't know exactly how all that works well i think if you're if, if you're if you're a single person living by yourself male or female you would be the head of the household right i mean until you, you well the reason so. i say you're i the reason i say so is because i believe traditionally that the that the father is still or should be the head of the of his daughters right um true yeah yeah, I I would talk to a priest that you that you trust. See what let him direct you because we're just <laughs> we're just two guys on the internet. <laughs> yeah, don't I would not come here for spiritual direction. That's for sure. <laughs> and like even even my wife's spiritual direction, that's not something that I I undertake. She she goes to a priest for that. But in terms of something like, um, you know what, I don't know if there was a conflict at work. Um, that that required her to um, get some a good understanding of what a good Catholic response to that might be. I think that I would be the person that my wife would should come to about that. Um, well, I would say if you're if you're single living with your parents, that your dad still has a certain amount of authority over you. I would say so too. Now, now, obviously, as we learn from Scripture, you're to serve God rather than man, but you still have to respect that authority. Yeah, yeah. Lady of South Texas, uh, you didn't miss anything. We were Judaizing, and I'm I'm trying to convert everybody back to Judaism. <laughs> um, no, I've we were talking about how I've been studying Hebrew and and all the illuminations that I'm getting about um, our religion because you know, and Scott Hahn has said this many times. The, the Old Testament is fulfilled in the New, but the New Testament lies hidden in the Old. Like going back to that first chapter of Genesis, um, 
you know, it, it's uh, what what is it? Bereshit bara Elohim. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void. And then, and the spirit of God moved over the face of the deep. So automatically, it makes a distinction between God and the spirit of God. Same God, different persons. And then God said, let there be light. God speaks the universe into existence. He speaks reality. There's the word, right? So God uses words. That word has a creative power. And we know who the word of God is. It's the Logos. It's Jesus. It's the second person of the Holy Trinity. Right there in the initial act of creation itself, all three persons of the one God are revealed. If you look a little deeper behind the text. And that's the other thing is, these these ancient scribes had a had a poetic way of writing things that is inspired by God, right? It's inspired by God, and when you look behind the words at the deepness and what is prophesied, um, I believe Ezekiel is where we first start seeing this phrase, "the Son of Man," one who is like a son of man, and how the son of and the son of man, who is the king over all Israel will be a, will will ride into Jerusalem on a donkey and all like all these prophecies not just in Isaiah Isaiah is probably the most famous and, and the most specific about the suffering of the Messiah and the Messiah who suffers but Ezekiel is really profound this idea this uh, this idea one who is like a son of man but is not a son of man see one of the beefs that we hear a lot from from the jews is how can god become a man it doesn't make any sense to them when in actuality it was prophesied that this is exactly what would happen one who is like a son of man but is not exactly a son of man remember he wasn't fathered by joseph Joseph was his foster father. He was fathered by God himself, right? And he has manhood. He is a man, but he's also more than that. And Jesus refers to himself often as the son of man. And the book of Revelations refers to the coming of the son of man on the clouds of heaven as one who has power and authority. So little things like that are just incredibly profound and I've just been learning a lot about it. So well, uh, Joseph, what uh, what topic are we talking about specifically here uh, with Jesse Romero? Probably with Father Ripperger, probably exorcism and, and, and either that casting or out of demons authority. That. Yeah, might it was either that or authority. Too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm just kind of curious. I might look into it. But um, yeah, no, this is very interesting, interesting stuff. But um, we're coming up on an hour, so are you? I don't know how uh, long you want. I don't know how long you wanted to go. No, an hour is, hour is good for me. So he says sport, spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great topic. And, you know, man, I, I go back to that movie Nefarious because it was such a great explanation of spiritual warfare and how, you know, I, I think in the movies so many times Satan is portrayed as this monster. Thank you, you know. sir. Uh, thanks, man. Appreciate that. But in reality, Satan is so much more seductive than that. And he's so much more insidious than that. You know, he's not going to um, vomit blood and, and, and walk up the wall, although 
Reports of things like that have happened with people who are possessed. But mostly, he comes to you as your best friend. Oh, he's just, and he cares. He cares more about you and your needs than that God person does, who just wants to ruin your good time. And it's not until you're too late and you're caught in his trap that he turns around on you and you get to see the real him and, and, and what he's really got in store for you. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely. Let's see here. Yeah. If y'all haven't, this is, seen... this is about you, Jason. Let's just, <laughs> <laughs> I don't have the creepy intro. That's so it true. Ain't me. Well, we're, we're scrapping that. We're new podcast, new intro. Man. <laughs> I don't think scrapping is the right word. I think updating. Oh my goodness. Oh no. Oh no. So no, but it was it, it was a good show, just interesting. Uh I mean we kind of went to interesting places, but that's, that's what, we what do. makes it fun. That's what makes it fun. You know, we don't have to be experts on everything. We can learn from uh our audience members, we can learn from our just talking through things. That's that's what makes it fun. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I enjoyed it. This was a good time. Mark she said, LOL, definitely more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh, guys. I, I have to tell you that I, I'm always, like, glad I do. I was exhausted going into the show. and didn't want to do it. And then we got going. I'm really glad we did. So yeah, it always fun. works out like that. But uh, there, Oh, let me share with you in this other thing I, I, I learned, which is interesting. Um you know, in Ecclesiastes, if you if you read the Douay Reims version, this phrase vexation and vanity, vanity and vexation of spirit is used over and over and over again in Ecclesiastes. Everything is vanity and vexation of spirit. What I come to find out is that's actually one word in Hebrew and it's called hevel. And it literally just means like smoke or vapor. And the idea is, is not that everything is smoke or vapor, but that Smoke and vapor makes things confusing and mm -hmm. unclear, you know. So Ecclesiastes is talking about life is life is all hevel. It's it's all smoke, and it's you can't see through the smoke to find out. So Ecclesiastes is not saying that life is meaningless. Thank you, Shelley. Thank you, Shelley. He's actually saying life seems meaningless because of hevel right? The smoke. And the, that's just another interesting thing you get from reading the original that I don't think necessarily translates very well all the time. But anyway, that was another, th I don't know why I went there like that. Oh, Lady of South the, Texas. I don't know. These past two summers have to have to make up a lot of time in purgatory. <laughs> They've been hot. Oh, it is just miserable. It was 110 today. Um, I think tomorrow is going to be another, it's just going to be, it's going to be like this until September. And have then you ever we get, walked outside. Have you ever walked outside in a place where it's 130 degrees outside? Like ambient no. temperature, not, not like, not, well, that's not just, feels like. Yeah. What now Dude, you're talking about I, Saudi Arabia. Oh my goodness. Yes. I felt like my face was melting. <laughs> what is that? like? I mean, don't they, Oh, what's it like to have to work out in that? I don't even know. So my, so my biggest question when I was there was these, these people's ancestors have been here for thousands of years and not a single one was like, you know what? Let's see what else is out there. Let's get, let's get out of this heat. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, Sean, it, 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 it does mean that life is transient and also confusing and, and difficult to grasp, right? You go, you go to reach for, you can see it. It's the smoke is really there. It's physically present, but you go to reach for it. You just can't grasp it. It's all of that sort of tied into that one meaning of everything and all is hevel. Um, so yeah, uh, Latin is awesome. Did you learn in seminary? Yes, I did. I did. I did learn uh, ecclesiastical seminary, uh, Latin and seminary, um, and continued that Oops, up until, uh, oh, sorry, ma'am. Um, continue that still to this day. So thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate I didn't that. mean to, I didn't mean to click yours off. Yet. Oh, that's I okay. Saying, I was, I, I was going to tell Margo, Texas. if you're moving to Dallas, Dallas is still hot, but it's not Houston hot. Yeah. You'll be okay up there. I mean, it's still hot in the summertime, but it actually can snow up there from time to time in, in the wintertime, yeah. not every year, but, um, you know, it's what not makes, unusual. What makes, what makes Houston's humidity or weather so bad is the humidity. Like, if we have 101 degree weather, we may have 70, 80% humidity on top of the 101 degree temperature. Um, yeah, no, it, it's, I think it's also all the concrete out here. This like the urban setting. Could add to it, yeah. yeah. Houston is a great town. There's a lot of cool things. A lot of things do a lot of great restaurants, but man, is it just the summers here are just fantastically cruel. Um, so, so prepping for heaven reminded me of a story because she says it's been in the nineties more this year than it's ever been. And she's like, she's up in Massachusetts. <laughs> you don't want to hear my Latin, Joseph. <laughs> let's see. Let's see. What, what can I say? Ave Maria. Oh. Grazia plena. Dominis tecum. There That's pretty go. good. That's pretty good. Um, but I was on a job in LA, in Los Angeles years ago, just right outside Los Angeles. And it was like, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. It was like 91 degrees. And they were taking all these heat breaks. One guy fell out from heat stress that day. And they, all these breaks they would take, me and another guy who were from Texas, they would all huddle under this tent, right? This mm -hmm. this little canopy. Yeah. It wasn't very big, but he had all these guys underneath it. And uh, me and me and another guy, his name was David, we were standing outside, uh, just staying in the sun. Like, man, it, like, it feels pretty good. Like, we honestly thought it felt pretty good, right? And one of the guys says, you could tell who, who uh, who's from Texas out here. They're not staying under any shade. We're like, dude, we think it feels awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is great, man. This is great. Lady of South Texas, gracias a todos, gracias. Um, <laughs> so actually, I'm part Hispanic, um, believe it or not. My, my father's original name is not uh, Robertson. It's Rodriguez, and he changed it. Um, <laughs> I I've heard four or five different stories about why he did that. And so, so, so the media is not lying when they talk about white Mexicans. No, there's actually quite a few. <laughs> well, and see, the thing is Mexico is a really big country. Like if you, it didn't look that big on the map, but that's because the, the map is curved. And if you actually looked at Mexico, it would stretch from Canada all the way down to the Southern tip of Florida It's a huge country. And there's, it's just as diverse as every other country in the world. Look at Canelo in terms of its. What's that now? I said, look at Canelo, the ginger. Oh yeah, yeah, for the sure. And most yeah. of the politicians in Mexico are white. <laughs> um, um, if, you think, if you think racism is bad here, hmm, let me tell you what. So, anyway. Lady of South Texas says, "My Latin mark is a minority." Uh, <laughs> Lady no of South Texas one, says, "Latin with the Texas twang." When I was taking Russian in college, uh, 
the professor I had was from Russia. I can't remember what part of Russia now, but anyway, he used to Russians are kind of the way they talk to you when they the way they act. At least we find out the way he did. It comes off as very rude, but it's not really rude. It's just the way that they converse, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he uh, he would get really annoyed with me, and he he told me in class one day he goes, "You're the only person I know that speaks Russian." With a Texas accent. And he goes, it's annoying. I said, sorry. <laughs> listen here, commie. Yeah, you listen um, here, you Soviet spy. <laughs> and he, uh, sorry, but one more story about him real quick, because I think it's funny. Go. So when he would pronounce his, um, he would pronounce his V's as W's in English when he, when he pronounced them. Well, he was annoyed with the class one day, and he told us, um, he told us, guys, I'm getting a good wipe. Or he goes, I'm not getting a good wipe. And once I get a good wipe, we'll continue on. And we're all like, all right, TMI? Like, yeah. what's, what's going on? <laughs> and then it dawned on, I think, everybody about the same time he was trying to say, I'm getting a va- bad vibe. Once I get a good vibe, we'll move on. Oh, and we're like, I don't want to hear about your bad wipes. Dude, no. Did that happen? Are you serious? That's honestly, dude. Honestly, like I'm no lie, no exaggeration. (laughs) I can call my friend. I can call my friend Brian right now. He'll confirm the whole whole thing. My goodness, that is ridiculous. That's funny. (laughs) All right, it's nine o'clock. I've got to go to bed because I got to get up in the morning. So it was so nice, Uh, Jason. But it's fun to be doing shows with you again, man. I miss you. Yeah, it's fun. I'm serious. I missed you. Um, I don't know when the next. Are we are we gonna do one Friday too? Are we going? Are we doing a jam jam session? session? Maybe. All right. Stay tuned. Let's see if we can. Let's see if we can get a jam session in on Friday. Uh, Yes, we did. (laughs) did, did Yes. Thank you, Lou. Uh, And Lou, we're gonna we're gonna be praying louds again soon. I promise. I promise. yeah. Once I get everything all situated, we'll be back to back to normal. All right, guys. Well, that's all I got. Jason, any parting thoughts? No, just uh, God bless. Hope everybody has a good week. May almighty God bless us. May our lady keep us. And until we meet again, may God hold us all in the palm of his hand. God bless everybody. <laughs>